So does Debbie.
I will enter through his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter through his courts with praise. I will say this the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter through his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter through his courts with praise. I will say this the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter through his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter through his courts with praise. I will say this the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. All right. Ooh. A little warm. <laughs> All right, I got to go turn that down in a second. We are operating on a skeleton crew today. All right, Hebrews chapter 10. Remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle, spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have, need, you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the, prayer, to the preserving of the soul. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for the strengthening work that you continue to do, that by the power of your spirit you hold us up, that you carry us along, giving us wisdom, giving us knowledge and power and bravery that we can stand firm, grounded on the principles of your word, trusting in the work that you have accomplished, your forgiveness, your grace and mercy. Lord, let us never forget and let us never waver. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.
I wandered so aimless, life filled with sin. I wouldn't let my dear Savior in. Then Jesus came like a stranger in the night. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Just like a blind man, I wandered alone. Worries and fear I claim for my own. Then like the blind man, God gave back his sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Come on, Charlie. I was a fool to wander and stray, for straight is the gate and narrows the way. Now I have traded the wrong for the right. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I saw the light, I saw the light. No more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I said, praise the Lord, I saw the light. One, two, three. I saw the light, I saw the light, no more darkness, no more night. Now I'm so happy, no sorrow in sight. Praise the Lord, I saw the light. I said, praise the Lord, I saw the light. All right, is that, there you, that's a little better, isn't it? Okay. You guys are allowed to respond and talk back, you know. Okay, there we go. Somebody's awake. 
It's going to be one of those days. All right, I'm still fidgeting with this new earpiece because it waited weird, so it keeps smacking me, and I'm not used to that yet. couple of things. But it works really good. It does, That's but that's part of the problem. It almost works too good. I know, and it just keeps whacking me in the side of the head. Don't be jealous. I know you all want to hit me, so it's okay. Can't take him anywhere. All right, couple of things. If you did not get the announcement over the course of the week, Kathy Lester went to the hospital with, they told her it was pneumonia. So they went, she took her into the hospital, admitted her, spent a couple hours waiting to get a room, got a room, got her scans, and she doesn't have pneumonia. <laughs> so They're they, wrong. Imagine yeah, that. Exactly. Well, uh-oh. So that's my old joke that they're still practicing medicine, but they, uh, they sent her home some sort of reaction to COPD is what they're calling it. So in other words, she's got a cough, and they don't know why. Sometimes you're just 92 years old with COPD and you cough. So I think that's just kind of, that's, that's just the diagnosis. So if you get a chance to give Kathy Lester a call, she would greatly appreciate it. She is home. She's excited because she got to explain all the different stuff that's coming out of her garden. She has put her grandson to work and apparently he's got, sounds the, the way she describes it, he's got about 48 acres of vegetables coming up. So I'm sure it's not quite that much, but if you get a chance, keep Kathy in prayer and give her a call. Um, if you would also remember Norman Gardner this week, and if you have no idea who that is, I'll let AD explain it a little bit better. Uh, former pastor in our area in McChesney Park is now in hospice in South Carolina? North Carolina. He's down in North Carolina in hospice. He's 86 years old, but a faithful servant of the Lord. So if you would remember Norman in your prayers this week, um, doesn't matter if you're 86 or 186. It's still someone's husband, father, family member, loved one. So be in prayer for the Gardner family. They would greatly appreciate it. Anything else that I'm forgetting? I always check with you guys like you have all the answers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you to feel left out. So, all right, in that case, what happened to Joseph when he refused to commit sin with Potiphar's wife? He went to prison. And I like how nobody corrected me last week. I spelled Potiphar correctly this week. <laughs> Uh-oh. We have a question? What's up? <laughs> the clothing man. That was probably a nice robe. <laughs> Priorities here. There you go. But no. He suffers loss and he goes to jail. Which What's the lesson here? What is more important, earthly comfort or heavenly obedience? I got to figure out a way to make sure I phrase this right. Well, and that's part. Now, was that an easy decision? Well, I guess it would have depended on what Potiphar's wife looked like, right? (laughs) (laughs) There you go. I I, I was waiting for you, Danny. (laughs) But in all honesty. I'm getting old. (laughs) I didn't say that. So. In the grand scheme of things, it's a lot easier to go along with the world to get along. And this is the danger that Christians then and even now face. And I would argue it's more dangerous now. And it's something we talk about on a regular basis. The, The pull of the world is constant. I mean, you watch the news, you read stuff online. If you have a social media account, you're just, you have the tendency to be constantly bombarded by things. And there's just nowhere to get away from them. And the temptation after a while, if you fill your brain with that, is to start thinking in those manners. This is why your Bible tells you to stop, to reset, and to come back to the Word, to spend time in prayer, to spend time in fellowship with other Christians, to spend time reading your Bible and girding up your soul for combat with the world. We're not supposed to go along to get along. Regardless of what the world demands and regardless of what the world may do, we are supposed to walk 
faithfully. Joseph is an example of that because sometimes the path, even though it is rough, is still the right path. And Joseph's entire life is an example of that. So read the life of Joseph. It will do you good. Don't say this one out loud. It's a prison theme, apparently. For whose sake was John the Baptist put in prison? Don't say it. Don't say it. Again, reason for the question. And you'll notice a recurring theme with our prison verses. So, last chance. Am I forgetting anything? All right. In that case, I will get out of the way and we'll continue on with music. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. When heights of love, when depths of peace, when fears are sealed, when striving cease, my comforter, my all in all, here in the love of Christ I stand. In Christ alone, who took on flesh, fullness of God in helpless babe, this gift of love and righteousness, scorned by the ones he came to save, till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied for every sin on him was laid here in the death of christ i live there in the ground his body lay light of the world by darkness slain then bursting forth in glorious day up from the grave he rose again and as he stands in victory since curse has lost its grip on me for i am his and he is mine bought with the precious blood of christ no guilt in life, no fear in death. This is the power of Christ in me. From life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of christ i'll stand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of christ i'll stand 
there's stuff in the podium. There's never stuff in the podium. <laughs> I'm still all of a sudden like, what am I hitting in there? Wait a minute, it's a paper plate. Why is there a paper plate? Okay. No, there's no cake. See, I, I, I'd be over there noshing and sneaking that in there if there was cake on it, but. No, it's actually, it's actually listing and planning for the songs. You can see we were so hard up for paper that the service was planned out on a paper plate. And then there was nowhere else to put it, so it got thrown in there real fast. So, <laughs> We are a professionally organized and run operation. Don't you ever forget it. We have paper plates and everything to write all our notes on. <laughs> I had a seminary professor who operated like that. Dr. Salehammer was, we joked that we were going to buy him something that we knew he didn't own for Christmas. We were going to get him an English Bible. Because the only three things he would bring to class was a Hebrew Old Testament, a Greek New Testament, and a post-it note. And all of his lecture notes were bullet-pointed on his post-it note. And then we'd go on for this hour-plus-long classroom, and I'm going, did we get No, no, we didn't get to everything. Like, how did you not get to everything? I, I was convinced he was one of those guys that, like, you know, if he was going on a trip or something, he's got his briefcase, he's got his books, and his wife goes, all right, now here's the bag of your clothing and your toothbrush, and you know, he, he was one of those people, so... Apparently, I'm married to one of those people, so. <laughs> All right, something that actually makes sense on the day. We are returning to the salt mines of Exodus. We have work to do. Dun, da, da, da. So you had your break. We are back to Exodus. We are back to the mountain of God. It is time to expand on some things. Why would it be time to expand on things? I mean, God has given them the Ten Commandments. Isn't that enough? <laughs> One, we need all the help we can get. Not some of it, all of it. I just realize I'm still attached to things that I've normally taken off of me. There we go. Put that there. We need all the help we get. Two, we just had this come up just this morning. We we're talking about the vaccine information for stores. So like they'll let you go in the store without a mask if you if you've been vaccinated. And so the question is asked, obviously, well, what stops a person from just saying, I've been vaccinated? And I said, welcome to why stores aren't asking the question. And then said, yeah. <laughs> I'm not naming any names. And so then the question becomes, well, if you say you're vaccinated when you're not vaccinated, is that a lie? That's why we need more than the Ten Commandments. Because if you just tell people to not bear false witness, what are we going to do? By every definition, what are we going to do, all of us? I had a friend of mine who was like this in seminary. He goes, don't give me a list of rules. I said, why not? Because if you give me a list of rules, I'm going to figure out every way I can do just about what I want without breaking the rules. Because I can figure out a way to not break the rules the way you wrote them, but still do the thing you don't want me to do in the rules. I'm like, you might want to check yourself on that one. He's like, I'm working on it. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. That's why we need as much as possible, because what you have in the laws of the rest of Exodus, and especially when you get to Leviticus, is the working out for those people in that world, how do you uphold the truth? How do you uphold life? It's more to it than just, well, I didn't kill anybody this week. Haven't I done a good job? And the answer is no. No, you haven't. There is more to it. So God is going to begin to lay down that foundation and prepare things. But before he does that, what group of people should you give that expansion to? Let's go to an apocryphal story of, I don't know if this is part of the apocryphal story of our nation or not. What type of people is John Adams quoted as saying our Constitution is for? 
a moral and religious people, it is wholly inadequate for any other. I don't know if that's part of the actual quote or if that's part of the apocrypha of our founding or not. But that's John Adams' quote about our system of government. Is it set up that, what's the assumption? What's going to be the limiting factor on the we, the people, who wield power? The limiting factor is going to be their responsibility before God. So you have to make sure that if you're giving an expansion of laws meant to honor God, you're giving them to a people who seek to do what? A people who seek to honor God. Welcome to what is beginning to be presented here in Exodus 20. So we will read all of this and then try and then dive in. So 18 through 26. All the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. And Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. For God has come in order to test you, and in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. So the people stood at a distance while Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. You shall not make other gods besides me. Gods of silver or gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. You shall not make an altar of earth for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it out of cut stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you will profane it. You shall not go up by steps to my altar, so that your nakedness will not be exposed on it. Believe it or not, there's a whole Sunday in there, I promise. I mean it, I mean it, I mean it, I mean it, I mean it. I got you relocated, you can't click. <laughs> Normally you can click back to the beginning, but now we'll go through it one at a time. So, verse 18, I promise there's lots of stuff in here. Good lesson on how to slow down, ask questions, and read your Bible. So, they're at the base of the mountain. The Ten Commandments have been given. Moses has not gone up into the cloud yet. So all the people perceived the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountains smoking. And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance. This is good. This is very, 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 very good. Why do I say that? Proverbs chapter 9. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me, he was talking about God, your days will be multiplied and years of life will be added to you. Their trust, fear, and reverence is supposed to be in who alone? God, no one else. The fact that God has descended upon the mountain in this way, with the glory of the Lord shining, and the smoke, and the thunder, and the quaking, and everything that's going on, and their attitude is, uh-oh, they are seeing things rightly. What are they recognizing? God is holy. What's more important about that equation? If they're looking at it, what else are they recognizing? That they are not. God is holy, and I'm not. And as Hebrews would put it, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. This is the warning that Jesus gave, right? Don't fear somebody who can kill the body, and after that, what more can they do to you? No, who should you fear? The one who can kill the body, and after that, cast the soul into hell the one who has the power of judgment. What they're being confronted with right now is an understanding of the holiness of God because they're seeing him in light of themselves. There's no more lie. This is the danger of the world. Well, one of the dangers of the world. We're probably going to cover several of those today. Typically, how do I compare myself? I compare myself to other people. I'm not as bad as that guy. 
I'm not doing as good as that guy. I'm doing better than that one. All right, it's a good day. What's supposed to be my standard? God is my standard. And when compared to God, I recognize who I am, what I deserve, and by reminding myself of who I am and what I deserve, what do I get to look to? What he has done. See, this is how you're reminded and how you stand before God each and every day. If you stop at who I am or who he is and what I have done, then you end up in a bad place. But if you take the next step and go, but there is a Savior, there is a Christ, there is a sacrifice, there is an offering that cleanses, now I get out of the bad place and I get to a righteous place. I recognize the gift of holiness that has been granted. I recognize the sacrifice that has been given on my behalf. And I can walk anew. <laughs> he was starting to shake. He could feel it. <laughs> there was a disturbance in the force. A teenager was separated from his cell phone. <laughs> it's all right. <clears throat> they are experiencing this and seeing this in real time. They can't help it. Christian, this is one of the reasons why you have to discipline yourself and disciple yourself, is this is what you're supposed to be doing for and with your own mind every single day, is putting yourself in the right frame of mind, understanding the holiness of God, the sinfulness of me, and the work that he has done on my behalf anyway. Then I am spurred to action, I am spurred by knowledge to walk and live differently. Always remember, Christian living, Christian sanctification is powered by a knowledge of justification. Never the other way around. See, this is why I started off with, before we get to the expansion of these commandments, what do we have to make sure of first? The hearts of the people we're giving them to. Apart from the work of Christ, any law, any commandment from God is basically a giant battering ram. And all it does is it gets pulled back and it slams into you one more time. It pulls back and it just keeps doing it. Great example, I've mentioned this before, but it always bears repeating. If you've never read it, go find yourself an abridged and edited version so it'll make sense of The Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. The man Christian has had his great burden removed from him by the work of Christ, and he is traveling the king's highway to the celestial city. He is walking the path of sanctification to heaven. And part one of the, uh, one of the things that travails Christian upon his travel is He's walking along, and all of a sudden, this man comes running down the path and just runs him over. And he gets completely wiped out, and he's like, he has no idea what just happened. And he gets up and starts dusting himself off. And then he sees this guy, and he, he runs like the flash and runs him over again. And you know what the man's name who keeps running him over is? Moses. It's the law. It's checking your heart. It is undergirding your sin. It is reminding you of who you are. And if used wrongly, it will crush you. Christian doesn't stand upon the path because he is good and he is keeping the law. He is standing upon the path because Christ is good and has kept the law. And that Christian is walking in sanctification, not because of his strength, but because of the strength of Christ, because of the powering of the Holy Spirit and because of the mercy of God. Not on his ground does he stand, but on Christ's and Christ's alone. He can't keep it. Doesn't mean he fails. Doesn't mean he walks off the path. That's what the law is trying to do to the, un to the unclean. It is going to drive them away. Same thing is going on here. Check your heart, but check it in a way that leads you back to the cross. Check it in a way that does not leave you in despair, but leaves you uplifted and walking in the God who has saved you. So, verse 19. 
So they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. All right, let's see who's following along. Lou will get this one right. I've got faith in you, Lou. You ready? Now that, now that I put you there, you're, gonna, you're ready to crash and burn? You get one word to describe what they want. One word, what word do you use? What do they want? What do the people want? Oh, I knew you'd get it. See? I knew that. This is easy. That was a layup for you. Like, here you go. Hit, 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 hit it. They want a mediator. I can't stand before God. I recognize my sin. I recognize his holiness. Yes, he's brought us out of Egypt, but I don't want to go up there. So you know what I want? Yeah, I want you to go up there for me. Moses recounts this in Deuteronomy 5. When you heard the voice from the midst of the darkness, while the mountain was burning with fire, you came near to me, all the heads of your tribes and your elders, and you said, Behold, the Lord our God has shown us his glory and his greatness, and we have heard his voice from the midst of the fire. We have seen today that God speaks with man, yet he lives. Now then, why should we die? For this great fire will consume us. If we hear the voice of the Lord our God any longer, we will die. For who is there of all flesh who has heard the voice of the living God speaking from the midst of the fire as we haven't lived? Go near and hear all the Lord our God says. Then speak to us that the Lord our God speaks to you, and we will hear and do it. This is important because what is Moses' job in the Exodus? This is where I want you to start thinking big picture. What is Moses' job in the Exodus? And I gave you a hint by asking you how to think. If you think in a big picture manner, you will begin to see Moses as a picture. Big fancy theological term is a typology. He's a shadow. Moses is the human deliverer of the people. He is a deliverer. Is Moses the deliverer? No. He's a prophet for the people. Is he the prophet? He's a mediator for the Israelites. Is he the mediator? No. He's showing you pictures of what the work of God will do for his people. Those things can't be summed up in me. They can't be summed up in Moses. They can't be summed up in any other human being. Why not? Because of the first part of this. God comes down and we recognize what? That he is holy and we are not. This is why Christ, born of the woman, but born of a virgin, uncorrupted, unstained, God and man in flesh, keeping the law, walking in holiness, tempted in all ways as we are, and yet without sin. He is the one who will be the prophet. He is the one who will be the deliverer. He is the one who will be the mediator. 1 Timothy chapter 2. There is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Hebrews 12 expands on this and makes the connection. You have not come, he's talking to believers by the way, you have not come to a mountain that can be touched or to a blazing fire and to a darkness and gloom and whirlwind. What's, what's being discussed there? The Exodus mountain here. To the blast of a trumpet, the sound of words which sound was such that those who heard begged that no further word be spoken to them. For they could not bear the command, if even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. So terrible was the sight that Moses said, I am full of fear and trembling. But you have come to Mount Zion, 
to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, to the sprinkled blood which speaks better than the blood of Abel. See, what separates the fear of God's people in Exodus from us as God's people now is the work of Christ. Moses delivers the message, accomplishes the work that he has been sent out to do, and has taken the people out of Egypt, speaking to God, standing in between on their behalf. Is that people cleansed and ready to stand before God? No. But when Christ does all of those things, are his people cleansed and ready to stand before God? And the answer is yes. This is what Hebrews is getting on about when it talks about a better covenant and a better sacrifice is that the covenant and sacrificial work of Christ actually accomplishes redemption. It actually accomplishes righteousness. The sacrifices of the Old Testament point you to salvation. They point you to righteousness. They point you to what God will do. Christ, as a fulfillment of those things, actually accomplishes those things. That is why we don't fear. That's why Jude talks about who can stand blameless with great joy. His people. The revelation, the dichotomy between chapter 6, where those that are being judged are calling out and wondering who can stand before God, and those in chapter 7 whose robes have been washed in the blood of the Lamb do what? Stand before God. Why Peter talks about longing for the, the salvation and the cleansing reserved for, you in he, reserved for you in heaven in 1 Peter 1. All of these writers are pointing to the same thing, the accomplishment of Christ that actually makes you able to stand. The accomplishment of Christ that actually makes you righteous in the courts of God. This is why our walk matters. What are we trying to do? We're trying to live up to what Christ has accomplished. We are trying to walk in such a way that we say, no, that place that I'm going to get to, I want to get as close to that as I can when. Yes, now. I don't want it then. I want it now. This is the one time where living in the 1980s and 1990s in this country should have done you some good. Because what did we learn in this country during that time? Greed is good and patience is out the window, right? <laughs> Isn't that a song? I want it all. But better stop before I get Denny going again. <laughs> yeah, we want, we want how much of it? And when do we want all of it? Christian, that's how we're supposed to actually live in sanctification. It's not it's actually not greed. It's greed in the best possible way. I can't come up with another word that'd be greed right now, so you'll have to forgive me. If you're a wordsmith, throw a word at me. It'll be good for us. Need. <laughs> well, we'll do better. We'll work on it. I, I, I need to bring a Scrabble game with me or something. Bring my thesaurus and be like, Neh. See, we have a negative connotation to greed because you're trying to get everything that you're not entitled to. But in Christian living, we're trying to get everything that we are entitled to. We're going to be righteous at the end of our path. Why do I want to wait? I don't want to just live, however, walk in filth and mire and then hope that God can clean me up enough at the end. That's not the goal. The goal is, no, I want that now because that's who God is. And I want to be where he is, how he is, doing what he has called me to do. I want to walk in that day in, day out, minute in, minute out. That's where sanctification meets your justification. It's a walking to what God is giving. It's, now, you just summed up what happens in the world. For those of you who didn't hear, the people that don't believe, that's why they're afraid. 
You just summed up exactly what happens because there is no righteousness apart from Christ. There is no peace. There is no security. There's nothing to accomplish in the here and now, and everything that is accomplished in the here and now is actually what? As, as Ecclesiastes puts it so beautifully, vanity, chasing after the wind. You want to have a fun example? Turn into a four-year-old today. Go home when the wind starts blowing. It's the Midwest. If it's not blowing right now, give it a minute. It'll start back up again. And then go do what in your yard? Go try to catch the wind. It's a real good exercise for you, because when will you stop running? <laughs> yeah, when you drop. You'll just keep going. There's no purpose to it. Yeah, exactly. You can't get there. You'll never get there. Ever, ever, ever. That's what Ecclesiastes talks about living for the here and now, living for the things of this world, this chasing after the wind. No, we live righteously in the things of this world, because ultimately those things are for what? The world that is to come. We are following after the better thing. So, verse 20, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid, for God has come in order to test you, in order that the fear of him may remain with you, so that you may not sin. Believe it or not, that's encouragement. This is one of the reasons why you should be reminded of this every day. What changes your attitude towards your spouse? What changes your attitude to those people that you work with? Or my favorite example that you're all sick of hearing about, what changes your attitude to that fool in traffic that keeps cutting me off and not using his turn signal? Not that that bothers me any. <laughs> hey, I, I, got, I got a great encouragement the other day. Jada got to ride with, in the truck with me. Nobody ever gets to ride in the truck with me because there's four of us in the house and there's only two seats in my truck. So anytime more than two people go anywhere, there's no point in taking it. But I had it, I, we were all here in two vehicles, and so Jada rode home in the truck, and she finally goes, she goes, are you really good, or are you just lucky? It sounds like this is a trick question. She goes, whenever we drive, you never run into anything. Like, well, you're not supposed to run into things when you drive. <laughs> the goal is not to run into things, but you know what? I'm just going to take credit that I'm just that good. Because, I mean, honestly, what would be better? Is it you? <laughs> it's probably John. But this reminder, what changes how I view people? Exactly. The work of the Holy Spirit in understanding who he is and what he is doing. So I get angry when my morning commute is about who? Me. When my commute is about me and trying to get someplace, then that fool who won't use a turn signal and tell me what they're doing and won't get out of my way is a problem for me, and now I'm annoyed. But when they are a sinner in need of prayer, love, mercy, grace, evangelism, and discipleship. Now when they do something that annoys me, I say what? Well, of course they did something that annoys me. This is a fallen world the last time I checked. Therefore, sinful people are going to do sinful things. And you know what? One of those days, those sinful people might be me. And what will I prefer to receive from the rest of the world? Condemnation? Yes, I would like to receive some mercy and some grace. See, this is how your New Testament comes together. We love because we have been loved. We show grace and mercy because we have been shown grace and mercy. This is a part of the reminder in the direction Moses is giving them. Understanding and remembering who you are in the face of God will change how you look at the world. And by the way, this comes full circle in your New Testament. 1 John chapter 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ the righteous and he himself is the propitiation for our sins and not only and not for ours only but for those of the whole world 
propitiation. I always make sure we cover this. Big fancy theological word means to turn away wrath. So what separates the sinner who has the wrath of God upon him from the sinner who doesn't have the wrath of God upon him? One has managed to get that wrath turned. It is the believer. How has he done that? Because he has Christ who stands between he and God and says, that one is righteous. That one is clean because that one is mine. See, this is what separates the them from the us. Because all, it goes back to, Denny nailed one, Denny reading ahead, trying to read my notes. I see how he is. <laughs> what separates the fearful sinner from the fearless one? That's exactly what we're talking about right here. The fearful sinner, when confronted with God, realizes they don't have what? They have no mediator. They have no advocate. They have no sacrifice. They have no righteousness. Because when I compare me to you, do, you, do, do I think I can find some righteousness? Yeah. If you compare you to me, do you think you can find some righteousness? You'd be like, well, I don't yell at people in traffic. I would never do such a thing. Well, congratulations, you're now better than me. You win. Good job. <laughs> there you go. See, when I compare by that standard, I, have a, I, can, I can find something. When God comes down, what happens to my standard? It, it's gone. Out the window, and now I'm going, I got, there's nothing here. And since I have no mediator and I have no advocate, I have no righteousness, therefore I am afraid because the judgment is upon me. The believer says what? I have Christ. I don't stand. Christ stands. I'm not good. Christ is good. And the good that I do is because of his work, his sending of the Holy Spirit to empower me, and his encouraging me. That's again why Hebrews can tell you, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. In other words, not forget who Christ is and what he has done. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, and yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. In other words, we don't fear God, excuse me, when he shows up, because we have Christ. Christ who has been confronted with everything we have been confronted with and stood perfect, stood sinless, stood righteous, and now says, mine, my righteousness, no penalty. And by the way, Hebrews and John didn't pull this out of thin air. The Old Testament was building up to this. Isaiah 41, do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. And I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Moses gave the same message to the people in Exodus 14, if we go backwards and remember where we've been. Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. What was be who accomplished redemption for Israel? Moses? God did. Moses is standing by the sea, and they're all crying out to Moses, and Moses goes, God, what are we going to do? And God's like, walk. <laughs> Where? Um, water, deep. I mean, we're all suddenly Andre the Giant from the Princess Bride. I only dog paddle. <laughs> the whole big ocean over there. <laughs> Well, that's part of the point that's going on here is, would God have done all of these things in Egypt? Would God have turned 
the water into blood? Would God have sent the locusts and killed the cattle and brought hail and darkness and done everything that he has done to march you out to the sea for you to die by the sword? The answer is no. Once again, as Paul says, he who began a good work in you will certainly bring it to the day of completion. He will finish the work that he has begun. This is why I tell you to keep walking forward in Christ. Because every time we stumble and every time we fall, there is a Savior that picks us up and carries us further down the road. He has not forgotten, he has not forsaken, and he will not forget, and he will not forsake. He will continue on with the faithful work that he has begun. And the examples of this are throughout the Old Testament, showing the mercy and grace of God upon a sinful people, encouraging them to do what? Walk in faith. Walk in trust. To, to gird up themselves and to go in that direction. This I, I've said this before, I'm going to keep reminding you of this. If you want to understand how the law of the Pentateuch meshes with the calls of the prophets, understand Exodus. Because that's what the prophets are calling the people back to. They're calling them back to a faithful walking and trusting. Every time we've turned around in Exodus, the people of Israel, Every time we have paid attention in Exodus, the people of Israel have been just nailing things, right? Getting it all right. No, every time we turn around, it's like, what are you people doing? Um, Christian, welcome to your walk. Because every time you find yourself in sin, you know what you should be saying? What are you people doing? You and the other 75 voices in your head, stop doing that thing. Is that just me? Okay. <laughs> stop doing that thing, Why? Because there is a Christ who has died for you. There is a God who is living inside of you. There is a Father in heaven preparing a place for you. All of these things are being done because of God and his mercy and his kingdom and his great work. Now walk towards those things. That's the lesson. That's the exposition on how we build out who God is and what he's doing in our lives. How do I live Christianly? I define what is godliness? Walking in his ways. And now I seek to do what when I encountered uh, conflicts and struggles? What would honor God, not what pleases me? Verse 21. So the people stood at a distance, and Moses approached the thick cloud where God was. Yay! They got one right! They did it! Just made mention. Every time we've turned around, the Israelites are going, no, 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 that thing that God told us to do. We're going to go that way and do something else. Celebrate when they get one right. Because again, this is a consistent theme in your Old Testament. 1 Samuel 15. Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. This was a, a judgment to Saul. Because Saul was told to wait, and Saul didn't wait. And he offered the sacrifice and said what? Well, you, I mean, I had to offer the sacrifice. What was more important, offering the sacrifice God said would be offered or waiting and doing it the way he said it would be done? Exactly. And again, consistent message of your Old Testament. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of, of Aaron, got their, got their ephods, got their, their pans, and ran into the tabernacle to do what? Go offer some weird stuff that God never told him to offer. And what was the result of that? To quote the great 70s prophet, fire. And Aaron was told what then? Don't you mourn for those kids. God spanked them. And you know what? They deserved it. 
Or like a good Western would tell you, they needed killing. That was what they deserved because they, did, they profaned the sacrifice of God. They walked in a different direction. Christian, that should be an encouragement to us that God has said walking faithfully actually bears fruit in the world. So what should we be doing? <laughs> now, the reason this matters is I want my country to be better. I want my town to be better. I want my community to be better. I want my family to be better. Well, where does that start? It starts with me walking faithfully, discipling, proclaiming right from wrong, not according to the world standard, but according to God's standard. This is something we covered months ago at this point. It might have been, it feels like another lifetime in Sunday school. We want a Christian government. Well, what do we need? We need Christians in government. You know, I mean, and where does that start? It starts with who do I support here and now? How do I support them? How do I proclaim? Who am I discipling? How is my community walking? I mean, if we have predominantly pagan, I need one more P word. I got nothing. If we have predominantly pagan societies, what are we going to have with our politicians? Predominantly pagan politicians. There we go. I'm a good Baptist after all. I have alliteration today. Go me. Break my arm, pat myself on the back today. This matters. So how do I fix that? By changing the law? No. By changing the people. Bringing arguments from Christian living to bear upon the world. Actually saying, wait, this is what you're saying should happen. This is how God says it should work. Let's try this. And if they refuse, then the answer is, no, no, I fight harder for this. No, I fight harder for your heart and your mind, which means I proclaim Christ. I proclaim your sin and his great salvation. I proclaim the mercies of a Christ crucified for the sins of the world. That's what I proclaim in changing the hearts and the minds. Use the law as what it's meant to be for the unbeliever, which is what again? A battering ram. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a bludgeoned instrument. It is meant to be used as a club about the head of the unbeliever so they'll recognize what? Their unbelief before God. So they will then do what? Recognize that there is a Savior who has died who has turned away the wrath of God and enables them to stand in righteousness, will change their heart, change their desires, will change their mind, which will then change their life. That's the battle we're not fighting day in and day out as Christians on the ground level. We can't fight from the top down. We fight from the bottom up. And that starts with what, who's at the very bottom of the bottom up? Not just we. I am. I'm at the very bottom of the bottom up in my life. In your life, you're at the very bottom of the bottom up. If your heart is messed up, you can't build up the people around you. So start with you. Where's your first ministry always? Your first ministry is at home, and it starts with you. Get me right. Get my mind right. Get my heart right. Get my thoughts and actions right. Undergird my faith every single day with who God is, who I am in light of that, and what he has done in response. And that changes my attitudes in the world and gives me a way to build up on these things. Now I can encourage and build up those around me. And what can they then do? They then encourage and build up those around them. And welcome to the little concentric circles of Christian discipleship. That's why I've said, if something's wrong in your house, don't blame school. Don't blame work. Don't blame the government. Start with who? Me. Well, in my house, me. In your house, you. You know how that works. And again, it may not be your sin, but you know what? The, if, there's, if there's problems and breakdowns in your home, you know what the result, you know what's causing it? It's somebody's sin. 
there's problems in your office. It may not be your sin, but you know what it is? It's somebody's sin, so let's figure it out. What does that start with? Me living, thinking, and understanding rightly so that when I see what the sin is, I can say what? Found it. There's the problem. What do you mean it's a problem? Well, here's why it's a problem. Now I can do what? Now I'm actually bringing biblical wisdom and knowledge to bear on what's going on. So, this continues, verse 22. Then the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, You yourselves have seen that I have spoken to you from heaven. Time out, because this matters. What's the source of authority for everything that Moses says? God is. Why was Moses given the, the ability to turn the water into blood? But why? So that the people would know what? That if you can do the little whole hand leper cloak thingy, and you can turn the water into blood, and every time your staff seems to be moving around, God seems to be doing everything, then when you talk, we should probably do what? We, we might be a good idea to, to actually listen to what's going on. The miracle confirms the message, and this message that Moses is delivering will come from God, Nehemiah chapter 9. You saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt and heard their cry by the Red Sea. And then you performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants and all the people of his land. For you knew that they acted arrogantly towards them and made a name for yourself as it is to this day. You divided the sea before them so they passed through the midst of the sea on dry ground. And their pursuers you hurled into the depths. Like a stone into raging waters and with a pillar of cloud you led them by day and with a pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. Then you came down to Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven. You gave them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes, and commandments. The word that we follow is a word from God. And as Moses is delivering it, even if Moses is unaware of this, where is this word pointing? Maybe I should say, to whom is this word pointing? It's pointing to Christ. Luke 16, the uh, rich man and Lazarus, the punchline of that is the rich man is, being, is in his torment. What does he want? I want Lazarus to rise from the dead and do what? Go warn my brothers so that they don't end up here. And Abraham said to him, they have Moses and they have the prophets. Let your brothers hear them. But he said, no, Father Abraham, if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. <laughs> But he said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. What's your Old Testament pointing to? The work of Christ. Luke 24, the road to Emmaus. The disciples are walking and Jesus starts walking along with them. They get towards the end. And he said to them, O foolish men, slow of heart and hard to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then, beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in the scriptures. By the way, to say Moses and the prophets is shorthand way of saying what we would call the Old Testament. Whenever you're reading your New Testament, the books of Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, five books of Moses. The prophets are obviously the prophets, and the history would have been stuck right in the middle. Congratulations, Moses and the prophets, it's the Old Testament. What was Jesus' point? You missed it. It was in there. And he starts explaining it. And you know their brains just kind of started going 
crosswired. You're like, I don't understand this. And neither did the apostles. That's why you get to the end of that chapter in Luke 24, when Jesus appears in the upper room to them. He said to them, these are my words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. I've said, you want to understand the prophets. You want to understand the, uh, the poetry. You want to understand the, the calls of the prophets to the kings. Understand Exodus, because what is Exodus pointing to? It is pointing to a people of God, redeemed by his mighty, powerful hand, in spite of themselves, showing how they're carried along, in spite of themselves, showing how they are gifted and prepared to live in this world, in the presence of God, in spite of themselves, and how they are to live to obtain the righteousness that God will promise them in spite of themselves. That's Christian living. We've asked before, what did we bring to the salvation party? We brought sin. We brought sin, iniquity, corruption, death, whatever euphemism you want to use for it. All the bad stuff is on our side. It's like how you viewed your wedding once upon a time, like all the good people were on my side of the family and all those other weirdos are my in-laws. <laughs> You're like... Nobody's sitting next to me. Yes. See, Vern can laugh at that, right? <laughs> John, would, John would agree with you on that one, which is funny because he's on the other side of that. But anyway, see, we're the crazy in-laws, which always remember, in-laws are always better than outlaws. There you go. That's what we bring. Christ is the one who brings righteousness. He is the one who brings grace. He's the one who brings mercy. He's the one who brings accomplishment. That was being foreshadowed and shown to you in the Exodus. This is, again, why I say, if you've never read your Bible and wanted to reach into it and smack somebody and shake them, like, what are you people doing? I contend that you've never really paid attention when you've read your Bible. Because every time you see God doing amazing things for these people, you're just like, how did you miss it? Again, this is Christian living. And the goal of Christian living is each day, as you are undergirded and strengthened by the Holy Spirit, you're looking at things and going, I'm not missing it. So the walk as it begins is, you know, the constant falling into pitfalls and traps and things like that. But as you go, you can look back and realize all the little ditches and holes and things you got dug out of and dug yourself out of and all of those places. Now, as you look forward, what starts to happen? Do I fall in all of them? Hopefully not, because as the Holy Spirit has strengthened me and raised me up in knowledge and wisdom, I do what? I see that giant pothole and I do what? I go around. I don't fall into the trap. I walk on the road as Christ has laid it out before me. This is wisdom over time. This is why I always ask, if you've been a Christian for 10, 20, 30 years, look back and just ask, am I farther along now than I was when I started? Welcome to your sanctification. Welcome to the proof of it in the world. Welcome to the wisdom that you have attained. This is why never ever say, well, I don't really want to say anything about it because I did the same thing when I was their age. No, run screaming from that statement because the fact that you did the same thing when you were their age is the exact reason why you should be screaming from the rooftops, don't do it now! Because I did it and I know how this goes for you. I know how this ends and it's not good and I want you to fall in new potholes and not fall on the ones that I already fell in. Because again, the beauty of the world is, 
sin, the world, and Satan just aren't that clever? They just aren't. There's nothing new under the sun. The temptation of, I mean, think about it. The temptation for Christ was to do what? Here, look. Throw yourself off the temple. He's not going to let you die. Now, is that true? Well, yeah, because Jesus has work to accomplish. So he wasn't dying. But was that a walking in faith and trusting in God to carry you back? No, that was putting God to the test. That's why Jesus says, no, I'm good. Look, worship me and I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Now, let's be honest. Does Satan have all the kingdoms of the world to hand over? Well, see, you're shaking your head no. I would argue differently. Have you seen the kingdoms of the world lately? Have you, have you seen how they operate and the things that they promise and the things that they try to accomplish? I would argue that, yeah, you can have all of them for how long? <laughs> Until God goes, nah, yeah, now we're done here. No, we're not, we're not playing that game any longer. The temptation wasn't to get something you weren't going to know. Let's also be honest. Is Jesus going to get all the kingdoms of the world? Yes. When he comes down and he comes back and he goes to fight that battle, how quickly does that war go? It's over like that. He wins. They submit. Problem solved. The temptation wasn't to get something new. It was to get it in a different way. What was the temptation to Eve? The ultimate temptation. Did God really say? And then what was the lie? Because if you're actually paying attention, the lie isn't that much of a lie. Well, it's good for food and it'll make one wise. You'll be like God. What was the goal of Adam and Eve living? What's the goal of sanctification and walking in faithfulness, Christian? No. To be like God, to be like my Savior, to put aside sin and iniquity, to walk in faithfulness, to be cleansed and justified in his presence, to put away sin and to be like God, the image bearer that I was always supposed to be before corruption came. This is what Adam and Eve were. This is what their lives were supposed to demonstrate. Satan is saying, well, you can have that, but you can have it in a different way. Ye be like God. They already were. There's no new temptation. When the world pulls you and tugs you along, is it trying to get you to do anything other than what you're wired to do? No, it's trying to get you to worship. It's just trying to get you to worship something other than God on high. It is trying to get you to esteem something other than the Savior who has died for you. It's trying to get you to follow after faithfully something other than the path that the Holy Spirit has laid down. There are no new tricks. Know who God is. Know who I am in light of that. And know what he has done for me that corrects that problem. And then you begin to see the tricks. And you begin to see this, the lies for what they are. Subtle little twists. You go, no, 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 no. See, I don't have to follow after that thing. I don't have to follow after the lust of this world. I don't have to follow after women and money because I have a Savior. I don't have to follow after folding my entire life and existence into my children because I have an entire life and existence that is being molded into godliness. I don't have to work myself to death in order to make sure that I die with the most toys because I have God who gives all to my needs. I don't have to worry and chase after the things of this world. And again, you can probably come up with 1,700 other things the world will get you to chase after, and you can look at them and say, no, because I'm chasing after what? The better higher thing. So, rapid fire, finish this up. You shall not make other gods beside me, gods of silver or gods of gold, you shall not make for yourselves. You shall not make an altar of earth for me. 
I'm sorry, I keep putting a knot in there. You shall make an altar of earth for me, and you shall sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen, in every place where I cause my name to be remembered. I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stone for me, you shall not build it of cut stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you will profane it. You shall not go up by steps to my altar so that your nakedness will not be exposed on it. Some knew... Some repeated, this is the beginning of your expansion. I love some of these. Why can't I cut the stones? Aren't I going to make them prettier? Aren't I going to make them where they stack nicer? Aren't I going to make them just that much nicer and beautiful and whatever it is so that I can make the best altar possible? (laughs) See, you picked it up right there. Who made that stone like that? God did. How much pride and arrogance do I have to have to say, I'm going to make it better? (laughs) See, you don't think about it like that, do you? Because we do that all the time to life. We change and we modify. Now, look, I'm not telling you don't cut down trees and don't cut stones and don't modify things. But I'm pointing out, don't sit there and say, look what I have done. It's the old joke. The scientist looks at God and says, we have advanced so far that we can make life. And we can challenge your power. And God goes, all right, let's have a contest. I'll make life and you'll make life and we'll see which one's better. And so the guy goes, all right, you're on. He goes out into the yard and he takes a shovel in his bucket and he puts a scoop of dirt in and brings it. And God goes, whoa, 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 time out. Go get your own dirt. What's the reminder? Yeah, God made. You're not making anything. You're just changing, altering Now, look, this is part of our dominion work, but don't sit there and say, I'm going to do it right. No, God already has. So Israelites, as they're building their altar, they're being reminded of what? That God has made these stones, and he has made them in such a way that I should be able to stack them and work on them. And if I haven't found the right stone yet, it's because I haven't done the work to find the right stone yet. I don't make it better. I service and worship God. And I don't make it up tall because... I don't want this, the, the, purpose to, the, the purpose of that to be on who? The, the, the word. I can't think of the word. It just went right in my head. The focus. Oh, my goodness. If you've been in my Sunday school class for a long time, this is not an unusual thing. All of a sudden, the word's there, and then it's gone. I don't want the focus to be on me, because remember, they all wear robes. So the last thing you want to do is be on the bottom of the stairs when everybody else is going up the stairs. That's the whole nakedness thing. You, you're an adult. You can figure that out. Now, All of these things are pointing to something else. When is the time that Israel will be allowed to mold stones and to carve and do things for the worship of God? Where's the one place that's going to be okay? The tabernacle. Now here's where all of this comes full circle. Where is the tabernacle? <laughs> Lou's smirking because I think Lou knows the answer. Don't you? Shh, shh. First of all, what is the tabernacle? It is the inside of the tent of meeting, the place where the Ark of the Covenant, all the furniture that is going to be built, the skilled craftsmen that God has empowered and raised up. They will make and assemble this, and they will put it inside the Holy of Holies, inside the tent of meeting while they're traveling about. So if Israel's got to travel around, they've got to pack up the whole kit and caboodle and go on to the next place and then set up shop again. And they're going to do this until they get to Israel, until they conquer Jerusalem and, the, uh, and Solomon builds the temple. And then it will be placed inside the temple because God has chosen a place for his name, as he tells Moses he will do in Deuteronomy. 
So the tabernacle is still the same, whether it's in the tent of meeting or whether it's in the temple in Jerusalem. But I'm burying the lead here. So that is what the tabernacle is. But where is, and this, pay attention very carefully, where is the tabernacle? Oh, Hebrews chapter 8. Now the main point in what has been said is this. We have a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister in the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord pitched, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. So it's necessary that this high priest also have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he wouldn't be a priest at all, since there are those who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. Just as Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle, saying, See, he says, that you make things according to the pattern which was shown to you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, by as much as he is also the mediator of a better covenant, which has been, acted, has been enacted on better promises. This is where paying attention to small little details and words is so important. And your New Testament does this for you. Does God give Moses a floor plan for the tabernacle? Does Moses come down the mountain with a blueprint and a design and be like, all right, walk that off eight paces? and I can... No, he's shown a pattern by which he is supposed to duplicate something. What is he duplicating? The tabernacle that is in heaven. He is duplicating the place of sacrifice before God. This is why Christ can ascend and be seated at the right hand of the Father. What is he doing? He is offering his sacrifice not to us here, but to God who is in heaven. That's the difference. The tabernacle that is in the temple or in the tent of meeting is a picture of the sacrificial work of Christ. It is a picture of the worship of God in heaven. The angels and the saints around the throne of Revelation 7 are standing there and worshiping a God in the manner that Israel is supposed to, rightly, with the sacrifice seated. That's why we don't have an altar. That's why we don't bring sheep and bulls and goats in here. Because our sacrifice has been given. And it is seated at the right hand of God. And he looks down upon us and says, those that walk in my faith, those that trust in my sacrifice, those that are empowered by my spirit, they are mine. And they are clean. And they will one day stand in this place and worship the tabernacle is before God, because God is the point of all of these things. Christian, that's the guiding focus of your life. That is the guiding focus of your faith. This is why we reject health and wealth and prosperity preaching. This is why I read the verses that I read this morning during our prayer time as a reminder of what? That tribulation is coming. Difficulty is always around the corner. And the call of the Christian is not peace and security in this world, but peace and security as we walk in this world in Christ. Colossians puts it this way. If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. 
For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. See, this is our persevering work. This is the preserving work that he does on our behalf, is we walk because we have been redeemed. We have been redeemed because he is gracious to forgive and faithful to uphold his people. It has been demonstrated throughout the Old Testament, pointing to the final redemptive work of Christ. There is no other sacrifice. There is no other person to stand between us and the wrath of God. There is only Christ. And there is no other power by which our sin is cast aside and dealt with in this world other than the one that God has provided in his Holy Spirit. So as we walk, we walk with knowledge. What we said, Christianity is a thinking religion. We think what? What's your lesson of the day? Who is God? Who am I in response to that? And what has he done on my behalf? I may phrase it a different way every time I say it, but that's your foundation. A holy, righteous God and a sinful me. How are we united? There's a savior. There's a sacrifice, which means there is a holiness that I can walk in because it has been reserved for me in heaven. But when do I want it? Now. And since I don't get to kill me because that'd be a violation of one of the commandments, I get to do what? I get to earnestly desire the holiness that he has called me to and strive to walk in that each and every day, which means I change whose heart by the power of the Holy Spirit? Mine. And then as people ask, man, how do we do this? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, understanding who God is, what he has done for you, and how you walk in light of that, and then build that out. I can walk as a disciple in my home. I can train up my family and my friends to walk as disciples in their home. And what happens to my community? See, we work from the bottom up. This is, this is the groundwork of Christian living. This is how we make our difference in the world, by walking faithfully in God, accomplishing all of these things. This is, this is what Israel is going to fail on when they get to the land, is they're going to look at the land and be like, ooh, I want to be like all of those people. I want to walk like they walked. Remember, we're taking Israel out of Egypt, but what else are we supposed to be doing? Taking Egypt out of Israel. Christian, do not love the world or the things in the world. Why not? The things of this world are passing away. That's 1 John 2 again. They can't stand. They cannot hold. Did God really say? What's the answer to that question? <laughs> yes. Yes, he did. He really did say who I am and how I walk in this world. And you lie him. <laughs> and therefore, we ain't going that way. Strengthened of heart by the work of the Holy Spirit, renewing the mind by knowing his word and walking faithfully. That's our call. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we thank you. We thank you that we as your people can gather, that we can be reminded of your great work, that no matter what may befall us in this world, that we have an advocate, that we have a righteousness reserved for us, promised at the culmination of all things. Lord, strengthen us that we would walk faithfully, that we would be your holy people because you are holy, that we would be your faithful people because you are faithful, and that your strengthening and your wisdom would undergird our hearts and our minds as we live in this world, proclaiming your great salvation and mercy to those who are lost and comforting those who need to be built up. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Dot Sally to this morning.
please join with me. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly Uh, just a couple quick reminders. If you'd remember Kathy Lester in your prayers this week and remember uh, former McChesney Park Pastor Norman, we'd greatly appreciate it. Also, we have lots of people traveling this weekend, one of the busier travel weekends. And since the world is more and more open by the week, lots of, lots more people on the road. So be in prayer for all of those folks that are traveling. And if you're doing any traveling this weekend, we'll be in prayer for you. Let's, uh, let's close with a word of prayer. Again, Lord, as we leave, we ask that you would keep us safe, that you would strengthen our fellowship, that we as your people would walk faithfully with one another, trusting in you and your great mercy. In Christ's name we pray, amen.